podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 5th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're normally geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. You'll find them on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout for all your football merchandising needs. Do also remember to listen to a tad predictable comes out every match week on this pro- this podcast feed and the EPL Roundtable, which comes out on its own feed. Just search EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider and it is a review show of the weekend's games. Normally comes out Sunday night, Monday morning. Right, folks, we had Champions League football last night and we had some good Champions League football last night. Let's start with the early kickoffs. As expected, Bayern Munich sweeping aside Victoria Plisson, 5-0. Comfortable win for Bayern. Leroy Sané scored on seven minutes to set them on their way. Nabry doubled the lead on 13 minutes and Sadio Mane put the game to bed as a contest on 21. Bayern weren't done though. Sané again on 50 minutes and Chupa Moting on 59 minutes. It is one of the great stories in football that nobody will ever, ever be able to explain. How is it that Eric Maxime Chupamoting went from stinking the place up for Stoke City in the 17-18 season to spending two years at Paris Saint-Germain and now entering year three at Bayern Munich? It's a remarkable thing. He wasn't particularly good for Schalke. He was awful for Stoke. And now he is a squad player playing quite a bit for ESG for two years. And now Bayern Munich in year three at the club. Um, Fair play to him. He must have a hell of an agent. He must be a really nice guy. Because coaches seem to really like him. But the gulf between him and his teammates is... Let's just say significant. So that leaves Bayern top of Group C. Three games played, three games won, nine goals scored, none conceded, nine points. And obviously a goal difference of plus nine. Very, very impressive. The other early early kickoff 
was a more entertaining game, but also quite a one-sided game. Now, Sporting went 1-0 up in the first minute. Trinkia with an absolute stunner of a goal. Uh, but Sporting's lead lasted only 13 minutes. Alexis Sanchez made it 1-1 on 13. Amin Harat, Harit made it 2-1 on 16 minutes. And Marseille were in control from that point. Antonio Adan, the Sporting goalkeeper, was sent off on 23 Leonardo Belerdi, the young Argentine centre-back, made it 3-1 on 28. And then Chancel Mbemba made it 4-1 on 84. And when Chancel Mbemba is scoring against you, you know you've had a bad day. Uh, Not ideal for sporting. This season is not going particularly well for sporting. But they are still top of that group with six points. Because they won their first two games... Their goal difference is still in the positive. It's plus two, scored six, conceded four. Marseille remain bottom of the group. That's their first win, having lost their first two games. Their goal difference is now dead even, scored four, conceded four. Uh, But that will be confidence boosting for them. They're having a really good domestic season. We move to the eight o'clock kickoffs. We might as well focus on those two groups again. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt nil, Tottenham nil. A fairly turgid game of football where two teams played exactly the same shape, 3-4-2-1, and just cancelled each other out. Uh, the only positive from a Spurs side, from the Spurs side of things, was that Brian Hill came on, and I thought he played okay. And it's the first real chance he's had under Conte. Now, it wasn't. A big chance. He only came on in the 79th minute, so he played that and 11 and, and 3. He played 14 minutes in the game, but I thought he played quite well, and it was interesting to see Conte turn to him and give him give him an opportunity. Um, Spurs are second in the group. Four points. Goal difference is zero. Scored two, conceded two. They've won one, drawn one, and lost one. As have Eintracht. Won one, lost one, drawn one. They've only scored one goal. They've conceded three goals and a negative two goal difference leaves them in third place. The other game in Bayern's group was Inter Milan versus Barcelona. And Inter, who have been fairly awful in Serie A, managed to turn things around and a really good performance from them. They went one up on 47 minutes. Hakan Chalanaglu, it was 47 minutes, but the first half, just before halftime, Hakan Chalanaglu with a, a really good shot from the edge of the box, um, beats Ter Stegen and gives into the lead. There was some controversy in this game. Uh, Pedri had a goal disallowed, and it took VAR to overturn it. That was in the 67th minute. And then into added time, there is a there was eight minutes of added time, by the way. Um, there was a ball played into the box. Dumfries jumped, headed the ball onto his own hand. Barca appealed for a penalty. There was quite a long review. No penalty was given. I thought it was a penalty, but that's just me. I thought it was a clear penalty. His hand was in an unnatural position. I definitely thought it should have been a penalty. Um, however, 
No credit will go to Barcelona in this game. They played pretty well, must be said. Inter played well. Barca played well. It was a good game of football. But Barca get no credit and they're not getting any sympathy from either. Because they rolled out of defence with Sergio Roberto, who, for the love of God, he's a midfielder. And this Sergio Roberto at right back nonsense that's been going on now for about 15 years just needs to stop. It needs to end. The guy is not good there. Andreas Christensen was talking to Guy before we went live. I feel really sorry for the fe- for the fella. Like, he moves to Barcelona. He's not first choice to begin with. And he's looking around the players next to him. He's got a midfielder playing to his right. He looks to his left. He's got Eric Garcia. Now, I still don't know why Eric Garcia is as highly rated as he is. Because he's not a good central defender. He's in- exceptionally weak for a defender. He's hesitant. He's not good in the challenge. He's not particularly good 1v1. He's a tidy ball player, but that's about it. And as Guy pointed out earlier on, at one point it was a tug of war between Man City, arguably the best team in the world at the time, and Barcelona, probably the second biggest club in the world after Real Madrid, over a player who if we're being honest, would struggle to start for most Premier League teams in central defence. I could see him as a defensive midfielder if they converted him into that position, but nobody's ever tried it, so he's just going to play as a defender and not a very good one. And then he looks beyond Eric Garcia, and standing there is Marcus Alonso. He must have thought when he got out of Chelsea that he left Marcus Alonso as a bad memory behind him. But no, no. No, no. Barca have brought him in, paid money for him as well. For what purpose, I don't know, because he's not he's not very good. He's, he's okay as a wingback. He's poor as a fullback. And while Barca's fullbacks do act as wingbacks, they defend as fullbacks. He's had one good season in his career, 16-17, under Antonio Conte, playing in a back three, a season in which Victor Moses played as a wing-back in the same back three and was better. If Marcus Alonso's name was Mark Allen and he was born in Stoke, people would rate him more accurately than they do. He is overrated because he's Spanish. It's as simple as that. And and he's got a tidy cross. He does take a great free kick. I will give him that credit. Like, let's not forget, this guy went to Bolton and was poor. Was poor at Bolton. Went to Fiorentina. Did have a good season in the Championship, but like couldn't get in the team at, at the Premier League level. Had a decent season in the Championship. Did miss... 20 games, should be pointed out. Went to Syria, was fairly average. Fairly average. They loaned him out at one point to Sunderland, and he stank. And Conte signed him for 24 million quid off the back of one decent season with Fiorentina. Now, whether Conte signed him or Chelsea as a club signed him, I, I don't know. But, like, his first season was about the height of it. He's just not a good player. And how, at this point, he's at Barcelona, I just don't know. Like, 
you see the front line. Dembele, Lewandowski, Rafinha. Super talented. You've got Ansu Fati, you've got Ferran Torres on the bench. And young Pablo Torre as well. Really good. Really, really good. Midfield, you've got Gavi, you've got Pedri, you've got Busquets. Busquets obviously passed his best, but he's still Busquets. On the bench, you've got Frank Kessie. Frankie de Jong wasn't in the squad to, last night. So it's, it's a good group of midfielders. Got no right back. None. Not one good right back at the club. Jules Kunde is by far the best right back at the club, and he's a centre back. You've got three really good cent- uh, two really good centre backs in Kunde and Arejo, who's injured at the moment. And you've got Andreas Christensen, who's a good centre back. And you've got PK, who a few years ago was a good centre back. And now he's kind of in that Busquets class where you just sort of allow it. Then you've got Eric Garcia, who's just not good. And at left back, you've got Jordi Alba, who's well past his best. And Marcus Alonso, who's just a poor player. Now, I do like young Alejandro Balde. I think he's going to be a big, big talent for them. And he might be someone that can really step up and make that position his own over the next 12 months. Yeah, there's always going to be a, a promising academy at Barca. There's always going to be players that appear and you're just blown away a little bit by them. They'll always scout really well for young players and bring them in. But this defence, the, the, these fullback spots, they just let the whole lot down. Terstegen is still a good goalkeeper. He's just not a great goalkeeper anymore. But everything else, bar a replacement for Busquets and competent fullbacks, and maybe Balde is the left back, but a you know, competent right back is there. This Barca team isn't all that far away from becoming a real threat to win this competition. But yet you're rolling out Marcus Alonso. Anyway, we'll move on. Enough Marcus Alonso <clears throat> bashing. Uh, let's look at Group B for a second. In Group B, we have the surprise package of the competition so far, Club Bruges. And they beat Atletico Madrid 2-0 last night. Sawa on 36, Jutkla on 62. Um, Atleti had more shots, more of the ball, but I thought Club Bruges... And the highlights I saw control the game. Uh, I will point out, this is a team playing playing Simon Mignolet in goal and Dennis Adoy at right back in the Champions League. And not just surviving, but winning games. That's three wins on the bounce. Seven goals scored, none conceded, top of their group, playing really well. Uh, Atleti... Bottom of the group, one win, two defeats, two goals scored, five conceded. It's not going well. I think we're witnessing the last days of Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid. Or if we're not, we should be. I think at the end of this season, he should walk away, take a year off, recharge his batteries, and go and look for the next project. And do elsewhere what he's done at Atleti, you know, his run there has been amazing. Absolutely amazing. And 
while he doesn't have the silverware of certain other managers, I think he's right up there with the very, very best. I, I think he's in the top four with Pep, Klopp, Conte. I think he's... I, Carlo I put to a different level because Carlo is Carlo. And the man has won four European Cups, so I'm not going to compare anyone to him. Um, I don't think Carlo could do what Simeone has done. I don't think he could do what Klopp has done. I think Carlo's incredible at going in, making subtle changes, managing individuals, and winning European Cups. But Simeone is a machine. And, you know, you look at his career as a manager. He, his first job was with uh, Estudiantes. He wins the league. Then he goes to River Plate and he wins the league. Sorry, I tell a lie. His first job was with Racing Club and it didn't go great. But he won the league with Estudiantes. He won the league with River Plate. Then he went to San Lorenzo and um, it didn't go particularly well. He went to Catania in Italy, and again, it didn't go particularly well. So he had a very mixed start to his career. Then he went back to Racing Club, and again, it didn't go great. Better, found a formula to become really hard to beat. Managed 20 games, only won, only won eight of them, but only lost two of them. And it was that formula that he brought to Atleti in December of 2011. At Atleti, he has won two league titles. Now, remember, the first league title he won was going up against that Barca team between iterations. It was after Pep before Suarez joined Messi and Neymar. And a Real Madrid team who won the European Cup that year. That was an incredible title, and he deserved to win the European Cup that season. Got to the final and lost. Um, also won the title in 2021, obviously, up against a, a very good Real team. Barca had fallen off at that point. He won a Copa del Rey in 2012-13. He won the Spanish Super Cup the following season. Uh, he won the European, uh, the, sorry, the Europa League twice. Won it in his first season, 11-12. Won it in 17-18. Two-time European Super Cup winner, which in itself is an achievement as the Europa League winner. Um, Two-time Champions League runner-up, 13-14, and again in 15-16. Both times losing to uh, Real Madrid. And... In 13-14 in particular, they should have won that game. They should have won that game. They were ahead into stoppage time. 1-0 up from Godin's goal on 36. Ramos scores on 93, sends it to extra time, and, and Atleti were dead by then. They, they were out on their feet. They couldn't run anymore. They had nothing left to give. And Real scored three times in the second half of extra time to take the trophy. Uh, in 15-16, again, I thought they should have won. Ramos scores to put Real up. Carrasco equalises on 79. 
it goes to penalties. And unfortunately, Real held their, held their nerve while Atleti did not. And um, yeah, just unfortunate. Unfortunate to come up against that Real Madrid team. But to win two league titles and get to two European Cup finals while winning two UEFA Cups with Atletico Madrid is an incredible accomplishment because that club historically have been chaos. Absolute chaos. To last, he'll be 11 years there in December. To last 11 years at Atletico Madrid is an achievement in itself because there's very few clubs that enjoy sacking a manager more than Atletico Madrid. They absolutely love to sack a manager. Like you go back and look at the the history of the Atleti managerial position. One year, one year, one year. Like the first 10 managers, one of them gets a second year. And he only took over halfway through the first. He got a year and a half. Let's put it that way. Uh, the first manager to get two full years was Rudolf Jenny, who was their 11th manager. Um, after him, it's one year. It's less than a year. Someone else gets two years. Um, Ricardo Zamora, who is about their 20th manager in 20 years, he gets six years. One year, four years. Anyone over six? No. It's one year and two years the whole way through to uh, Luis Aragones in 1974 uh, to 78. Then it's back to interim managers, fellas getting sacked after 10 games, um, less than a season, three managers in one season. Aragones again gets four years in from 82 to 86. Aragones has managed this club so many times, it's actually hilarious. Uh, again, you've got three and four managers in a year. It's just such a chaotic club. Uh, there's Aragones again, uh, a year and a half this time. This is his fifth goal in charge, and he is yet to hit a decade total. Is it a decade total? Hang on. Sorry, I tell a lie. He's just over the 10-year mark. Just over the 10-year mark in six uh, spells in charge. And he's back for number seven. And he hits around, you would say, 13 years, to be fair, for Luis Aragones across seven stints as manager. But... The longest anyone managed this club in one stint was four years. Aragones twice. And Simeone's done 11 years in one go. Like, that it's, it's historic what he's done here. Absolutely historic. He's their most successful manager. He's the best they've ever had. He's one of the best in the world, but I, I do think it's time. 
I do think it's time. There's talent in that squad without question. Like you've got a great goalkeeper, a great goalkeeper. There can be no doubt. Jan Black is as good as there is on the planet. Had a bad season last year. Uh, he'll be the first to admit that, but he is a great goalkeeper. You've got some talent in defence. I, I I like Molina, the right back. Uh, Jose Jimenez is great, but he struggles with fitness. Um, Hermoso's okay. Mandava's okay. Felipe's poor. Savage is poor. He doesn't seem to like Regulon. They need at least two starting defenders. The midfield, Rodrigo de Paul is, is very good. Condogby is okay. Koke was tremendous, but he's passed his best. Um, still a good player, but just not what he was. Thomas Lamar is inconsistent. Uh, Marcus Alonso is a myth. He had one great season. Has never been anything close to that since. Saul was great. He's not anymore. Axel Witzel, well past his best. Yannick Carrasco is an enigma. I, I love the attacking options. Like, Joe Felix is phenomenal. Griezmann's past his best, but he's still a very good player. Matthias Cunha is excellent. And Angel Correa is really good. I'm not a fan of Morata. But Felix doesn't suit Simeone's football. He's the best player at the club. He doesn't suit the style of play. There's so much work needed to rebuild that into a team that can go and challenge for the league title again that I'm just not sure it's worth Simeone doing that when he could go and start fresh somewhere else. Because I think he would still like to play the style of football that got him to the dance. He doesn't have the players to do it here. But, like, Molina could do a good Juan Fran impression. Jimenez was part of that team. Um, You'd need to find a Godin type. And they're few and far between. And, and a Felipe Luis type left back. The midfield would need to be refreshed in almost entirely. And... I mean, you need to find a young Griezmann and a young Diego Costa. It's very hard to do and would cost an awful lot of money. Go start somewhere else. Go start afresh. Build it up and, and do your thing. Um, In the other game, Porto 2, uh, Leverkusen nil. Leverkusen's dreadful start to the season continues. Zanussi on 79 and Galino on 86 and then Jeremy Frimpong sent off on 88 as things went bad to worse for Leverkusen um, Porto are second in the group Leverkusen are third and we've just got group group A left then so Liverpool 2 Rangers nil. Um a better performance by Liverpool. I've talked about it on the Daily Reg. You can listen to it there. Rangers are not good. Ajax won Napoli 6. Ajax demolished at home by a team that might be, other than Man City, the best team in Europe right this minute. Not overall, but right at this minute. They might be the best team in Europe. Season to date. And you could even argue they might be a bit better than City season to date. 
they just looked unstoppable last night. Raspadori got two, Di Lorenzo, Zielinski, Kivica, and Giovanni Simeone. They scored six goals away without Victor Osman. What does that tell you? They're phenomenally good going forward. Like, scary good going forward. Strong defensively. Mohamed Kudus had opened the scoring with the last kick of the ball Ajax got for a while. Uh, Dusan Talic was sent off on 73, but don't allow anyone to tell you that that swayed the game. It was already 5-1, and Napoli were absolutely tanning them. So, yeah, don't, don't allow anyone to tell you that that game swung on a red card. Uh, Napoli were phenomenal. And they're going to be a scary proposition for everybody this season because, like I said, they're strong at the back. They're industrious in midfield and they're ruthless in attack. And they've got depth as well. Like last night off their bench, they bring on Elif Elmas, who's a really good midfielder. Giovanni Simeone, really good striker. Tangai Endembele, really good midfielder. And a couple of youngsters. And again, they're missing Osman. They, who's maybe after Haaland, maybe the best young nine in the world. I don't count Mbappe as a nine. He's a forward player, but he does play a lot of wide. I does play wide a lot, I should say. Um it, it, they're they're phenomenal. And if Raspadori can settle in to maybe playing on the right, then Raspadori, Osman, and Kavicha are young and scarily talented. Like, scarily talented. Kavicha is 21. Raspadori is 22. Both of them have their birthday in February. And Victor Osman is, I think, 24? It's 23. His birthday will be in December. That's a really young talented front line if they can keep that together the sky is the limit for them it genuinely is now Raspadori's best position is playing off a striker and I do wonder if they might look at a 4-2-3-1 at some point and play him central behind the nine they'd need to find the right right winger Chucky Lozano does a good job, but I think that can be improved on. Labotka and Zambo can play as a double pivot. Yeah. Fear Napoli. Fear them. Napoli, top of the group, nine points, uh, making it all look very easy. 13 goals scored, which is the most of any team, and that's unlikely to change after tonight's games. Uh, only two conceded. Liverpool second. Two wins and a thumping by Napoli. Five goals scored, five conceded. Four of them, obviously, against Napoli. Six points. Ajax in third. And then Rangers bottom. Yet to score, yet to get a point. Um, yeah. Tonight, we have another eight games. Two early kickoffs. Red Bull Salzburg versus Dinamo Zagreb. 
they're obviously in the same group as Chelsea, which is Group E. Uh, Dinamo currently second in the table, Salzburg third. Should be a good game. The other early kickoff is, I think, the game to watch. RB Leipzig versus Celtic. Leipzig had a good result at the weekend. They've had an iffy start to the season. Already sacked the manager. But they play good football and Marco Rose is a good manager. Um, And Celtic are always worth a watch. So I, I would suggest watching that one. Um, The 8pm kickoff then. Chelsea at home to AC Milan. Kind of a must win for Chelsea. who have had a really bad start to this Champions League campaign. Uh, didn't look impressive against Palace at the weekend. They are at home. That'll help. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd be all that confident in them beating... Uh, a good Milan team. Uh, Juventus against Maccabi Haifa. Juve, not anywhere close to their best in this tournament so far. Lost both games to PSG and Benfica. Maccabi, likewise, lost both of their games. Um, so, you know, first point for somebody, maybe, maybe a first point for both. Not necessarily a game that I would recommend watching because Allegri has Juve playing some of the most turgid stuff that European football has ever seen. Uh, Real Madrid against Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, that's the other game from the Celtic group. Uh, Real look fairly comfortable so far, winning both games. Five goals scored, none conceded. Shakhtar walloped Leipzig, drew with Celtic. Uh, Mudrik, obviously the, the key man for them, and we'll see how he does up against Real Madrid. Uh, Sevilla against Dortmund. Sevilla have had a disastrous start of the season. They're 17th in La Liga. Um, this may well be the last match in charge for Lopetegui. We'll talk more about him in a bit. Um, and Dortmund's just always let you down. So I, I don't even know who to who to suggest will win this game. Uh, Benfica versus PSG should be a good game. Both of them have started the competition well. Both of them going very well domestically. Uh, Benfica did have a bad result at the weekend, but overall having a good season so far. And then Man City versus Copenhagen uh, should be fairly straightforward for City, you would have imagined. Um Hard to see that City will drop points in that game. They've won both so far, uh, beating Dortmund and Sevilla. Copenhagen took one point from a draw with Sevilla. You'd imagine City will win that game uh, pretty comfortably, especially given it is at home. I would guess there'll be quite a bit of rotation. Like I don't expect Haaland to start, but maybe he will just to you know keep up the form and, and add some more goals to the, the resume. But uh, if I was Pep, I'd probably be resting a few players. Uh, that is it then. That is tonight's game. So fairly good group of games, it must be said. I think the the Leipzig-Celtic one is the better of the early two games. Of the later games, I would say Chelsea-Milan and Benfica-PSG, probably the two most worth watching. But I am inclined to watch Real Shakhtar just to see Mudrik and how he does against that calibre of team. Um, I will not be watching Juventus Maccabi and I 
don't think I'll watch Sevilla Dortmund or City Copenhagen because I just think two of them are likely to be quite dull and one of them is probably going to be a massacre. So what am I what am I going to watch that for? Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, I want to have a bit of a chat about Julian Lopetegui and some falsehoods I've seen perpetrated on social media back after this. Right, welcome back. So, Julian Lopetegui appears to be the favourite for the Wolves job. Now, that is in part because it looks like he might be about to be replaced at Sevilla. Um, it's been reported in a couple of places that um, San Paoli has agreed to go back there. They've had a really bad start to the season. But... It is worth pointing out, he has overachieved there. Now, he's been manager three seasons. This is year four. In his first three seasons, he won the Europa League and finished fourth three straight years. And that might not seem like much, but the only other time in their history that Sevilla have finished in the top four in Spain, three years in a row, was in the 1930s. And he's done that through COVID while frequently having players sold out from underneath him and at a club whose finances are an absolute shambles. But let's look at his managerial career. So his first job was as Rayo Vallecano manager in 03, when he stepped in, he'd been a player there. He stepped in as a caretaker. Was he a caretaker? I don't know. He, he stepped in anyways, manager. It didn't go well. Let's just say it didn't go well. He, he left after 11 games. He'd lost seven of them. He took over as manager of Real Madrid's B team and had one season in charge there. Again, didn't go great. 18 wins and nine draws. From 38 games, 11 defeats. But it's a B-team role where you are primarily in charge of developing young players. Then he joined the Spanish setup and he's with them for four years. Under 19, under 20, under 21. 47 games in charge, 38 wins, 6 draws, 3 defeats. Outstanding. Nearly 81% win ratio. Only lost three of 47. That's fantastic. Helped develop a lot of good young players and gained a good reputation for the work he did there. So he gets his first big job. He's appointed manager of Porto in the summer of 2014. Now, bear in mind, this is a Porto team coming off a season in which they finished third, 13 points behind Benfica, arguably the best Benfica team in 35 years. Arguably the best Benfica team since the 80s. So in his first season, they finished second. They finished three points behind Benfica. 
They lose only two games all season, one to Benfica and one to uh, Maritimo. During that season, in terms of transfers, he spent about $35 million. While at the same time, bringing in over $80 million in sales, much of which was from Mangala. So, no big outlay at all. Quite a substantial net profit on the season. And one thing he also did that year was bring down the wage bill. Some high-earning players left the club. Now, I saw claims last night that he left Porto in a financial shambles. It's not true. Not true at all. Saw claims that he'd finished 13 points behind. Again, not through. Three points behind. The following season, 15-16, he again makes a significant profit on transfers. Now, he does spend big on one player, Mbulu, Mbula from Marseille. He doesn't settle. And he gets sold six months later at a profit. So it's not a disastrous transfer by any stretch of the imagination. If you're making a profit, selling a player after seven months who hasn't settled, you've done fairly well out of it. Brings in Iker Casillas. Sort of a marquee signing of sorts. Iker at the time was, I think, 34. So still had a couple of good years left in him. Was younger than Hugo Lloris is now and better than Hugo Lloris is now. Would Porto complain if they signed Hugo Lloris now? I, I genuinely don't think they would. Uh, again, you know, a bunch of big money sales. Jackson Martinez goes out. Danilo goes out. Alexandro goes out. So, you know, loses both fullbacks and his striker. At the winter break, they're top. At the winter break, they're top. They lose to Sporting in the first game back. They draw with Rio Ave. Sporting jump them and go top. Benfica go second level on points. They're four points off the top of the table. Again, saw a claim that when he left, they were miles off. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They fell apart after he got sacked. Now, bear in mind, in the 16 games he managed, they lost one. And in the 18 games after he left, they lost six. So was he the issue or were the players just not good enough? Because I would say the players just weren't good enough. If the same group of players lost six games in 18, having only lost one in 16 under him, I would say the players are the bigger issue. Most of which were not his players. Because at Porto, the manager has minimal input in transfers. Now, in the... Um, the Portuguese League Cup, they had a disastrous run. And by disastrous, I mean they lost one game under him. Uh, they lost their first game under him in that competition. 
The other two defeats came after he left. He didn't have a great run in the European Cup, it's worth saying. Uh, they finished third in a group with Dinamo Kiev and Chelsea. <clears throat> and finishing below Dinamo Kiev will have been a disappointment to them. But finishing below Chelsea, nothing to really be ashamed of. Um, and Borussia Dortmund dumped them out of the Europa League the month after he left. So, again, was it him or was it the players? In his first season, by the way, they topped their group in the Europa League ahead of Shakhtar Donetsk and Athletic Bilbao. They knocked out Basel and then got beaten by Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. Hardly shameful. So he did pretty well in Europe his first season. Disappointing the second season, but, you know, still went into the Europa League. Didn't do great in the domestic cups. Got to the semi-final of the League Cup the first year. Went out in the group stage the second year, though he only managed one game. Uh, went out early in the Portuguese Cup in the first season. Uh, in the second season... I don't actually remember. Let's have a look. In the second season, uh, he guided them through the first three rounds and they would go on to lose the final on penalties to Braga. So I'm not sure how there can be mass criticism of him considering they were much better when he was there than after he left. He didn't buy a whole bunch of players, and most of those he did buy were pretty good. Um, he, he got again saw someone criticize him for signing Oliver Torres. Oliver Torres was really good under Lopetegui in the first season. Didn't come back in the second season, but the summer after Lopetegui was gone, Porto went and bought him for twenty million. So I think it's fair to say they thought fairly highly of him. Now, Nuno Espirito Santo took over um, in the 16-17 season and was given plenty of funds to spend. So, again, any claims that financially they were in a bad situation, simply not in line with reality in any way. They finished second that year. It wasn't until Sergio Conceição took over in 17-18 and, again, went and spent a whole bunch of money um, that they started to turn things around. So I, I'm just not buying that he did badly there. He had a good first season and a decent first half to the second season. That's the simple fact of it. Uh, from there, he took over as Spain manager and 20 games in charge, 14 wins, six draws, zero defeats. So, he, I mean, unbeaten at international level, 70% win ratio, Gets sacked on the eve of the World Cup because it comes out that he's agreed to go to Real Madrid after the World Cup. Goes to Real and it just doesn't go well because the hangover of how the World Cup thing went on is still there. And he's clearly not in his right state of mind. He said it in a couple of interviews that he hadn't been able, able to get over being sacked before the World Cup. 
And then he joins Sevilla for the 1920 season. He joins Sevilla. And in that first season, they finish fourth and win the Europa League. Bearing in mind they'd finished sixth the season before, seventh the season before that, and hadn't looked very good. So, huge improvements. from the off, patching together a largely new team with a bunch of new players coming in and there had been a couple of questionable moves made by the club that summer, such as selling Wissam Ben Yedder, who was the best goal scorer at the club. But regardless, wins the Europa League, finishes fourth. Follows that up by, again, finishing fourth. And it wasn't like they were finishing fourth miles behind the rest either. Like in 1920, they finished level on points with Atletico Madrid. In 2021, they finished two points behind Barcelona. And in 21 22, they finish one point behind Atleti and three behind Barcelona in second. While going up against a really good Real Betis team and a really good Real Sociedad team. This season has been a disaster. But let's walk through their summer. So they sell Diego Carlos. They let Luke de Jong leave. They sell Jules Kunde. And they loan out Lucas Acampos, Ronnie Lopez, Ivan Romero, Ludwig Augustinsson, Oscar. Send Anthony Martial back to United. And, you know, have to revamp the defence now because both centre-backs are gone. They bring in Marco from Galatasaray, who I do like. And I think he's a decent player. They bring in Alex Tellez on loan. Really? They bring in Isco on a free. Really? They bring in Adnan Yanazai on a free. Really? Casper Dahlberg on loan. Really? And Tangai Nianzu, who I do really like, but he's really young and really inexperienced. So you lose your starting centre-back pairing and you have to replace them. You're given a kid with minimal experience to do so. And Marco, who arrived injured, should be said, uh, and has played... Hasn't played this season. Hasn't played this season. Because of the injury. Um, you know, like that is that is not good recruitment. That is not good recruitment. Monchi has had a poor, poor season. Now his hands are tied a little bit as well because the club's finances are in the toilet after COVID 
and they're just they've never been particularly well run. It's one of the reasons why Monchi has such a great reputation is he's overcome the financial mess that is Sevilla. But you know, there's just times where they've had promising young players like Brian Hill, sell them, you know, players who are important. He's patched together a team of odds and ends and done really well. He has overachieved at Sevilla. He's done really well. There's no doubting this guy is a good manager. Now, if you want to make the claim that the football he plays isn't the most attractive, I'll get on board with that. That's true. But to try and disparage this fella and say he's not a good manager is just absolute nonsense. He's had one bad season. This one. The season he got sacked at Porto wasn't a bad season. They were third in the league, four points off top, had lost one game in the league. We're still going in the cup. Yes, they'd lost the first game of the league cup. He wasn't there for the other two. They fell apart after he left. Got dumped out of the Europa League after he left. Did really well with Spain, both underage and first team. Never really got a chance at Real Madrid, but it was just... He wasn't the right manager for them to begin with. And it was the wrong time for him after what had happened with the with the Spain team. He's done really well with Sevilla. He's done really well with Sevilla. This is the worst season of his managerial career. You could point to the spell at Rio Vallecano for sure, but that is... Uh, 19 years ago. So we might excuse him that one. But claims that he's not a good manager, just nonsense. He'd be a really good appointment for Wolves. Now, personally, if you could get Ruben Amaram, I'd do that because I'd take him over most. But Lopetegui's a really good manager and he'd be a really clever appointment for Wolves. And if they can get that done, they should get it done. Um, I don't know that we have any updates on on anyone else being of interest. Um, Lopetegui and Bo Svensson, that's the latest, is that those are the two. Lopetegui is a better manager than Bo Svensson. And I like Sven. I like I do like Svensson, but Lopetegui is a better manager. One name that was mentioned was Pedro Martins. Um, I wouldn't be a big fan, but he has done pretty well at Olympiacos winning three league titles. Um he's been around, you know, he's been a manager since 06. Um Unai Lamas, Lusitania, Espino, Maritimo B, Maritimo, Rio Avi, uh, Vittoria Gamerish, and Olympiacos. A lot of lower league stuff and reserve team in there. Um, didn't do didn't do badly at Rio Avi, did fairly well at, at Vittoria Gamerish. Uh, but yeah, look, did well at Olympiacos. He did well at Olympiacos. Three straight league titles. Not sure why he left. 
He signed a new contract in January of this year to stay for two more years and then left in the summer. August 1st, he left. Don't know why. Um, if anyone knows why, let me know. But yeah, he's been linked to the job, but it appears he is actually in talks over the whole job, which is uh, is an interesting development. Anyway, let's do the gossip and get wrapped up for today. Manchester City are already trying to renegotiate Erling Haaland's contract, which includes a release clause allowing him to leave after two years if Real Madrid make an offer. Uh, I think it's if anyone makes an offer. I don't think it's specifically Real Madrid. Um, I I wouldn't believe it because it's coming from a garbage source in Spain. Uh, but, you know, he, he probably will go knocking for more money at the end of this season. And why wouldn't he? Arsenal have reached an agreement in principle on a new contract for Bakayo Saka. Again, it's Football Insider, so it's probably trash. Uh, Nottingham Forest owner, Evangelos Maricanus, Marinicus? Marinicus is considering sacking Steve Cooper and some of the club's recruitment staff after five successive Premier League defeats. Forrest are considering Rafa Benitez as a potential replacement with Sean Dyche also an option. Dyche is the better fit there. Dyche is the more, the more logical one. Manchester United are reluctant to let Cristiano leave in January. So he may have to wait until his contract runs out next summer before departing. I think United will be very happy for him to leave, but no one wanted him in the summer. And I would have a tough time seeing anyone want him in January. Um, United are interested in signing Benfica's Portuguese forward Gincalo Ramos and PSV's Dutch winger Cody Gakpo. Ramos is, is really good and would actually be quite a good fit there. That could be a clever signing. Um, Gakpo, I mean, does he offer anything that they don't already have, really? I, I, that's a strange one. I, I would imagine that just might be regurgitated off some nonsense. Ramos, though, is, is, a, is a, a good shout and would fit well. Um, Thomas Tuchel has turned down the chance to manage Bayer Leverkusen in his native Germany. Has he? They haven't sacked Sione yet. Now, I would imagine Sione is bordering on getting the boot. Um, he did so well last year, but this year has just been a mess. Leverkusen are looking at Xabi Alonso as a replacement. See, the issue I have here, I think Alonso in time could be a good manager. He did not do well with Real Sociedad's B team and got them relegated last season. So, to be fair, they did get promoted and then relegated. I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe he's Maybe he's better than I'm giving him credit for. But, like, I'd rather see him get a job at a smaller club in a secondary league, you know, 
maybe in Greece or in Turkey or in the Netherlands and see what he's capable of before he jumps into a, a big club in a top five league. I mean, Leverkusen are a proper big club. Uh, Chelsea are leading the race for Rafael Leao. No. AC Milan could use their game against Chelsea to talk to the Blues about signing Trevor Chalaba and Christian Pulisic. Chalaba makes sense. Pulisic, not so much really. His best role is off the left and they have Leao. So Inter Milan could look to sign Netherlands midfielder Donny van de Beek. Somebody needs to sign him and rescue him from Manchester United. Liverpool owners are willing to fund a big money transfer in January if Jurgen Klopp and the club's recruitment team can find the right player. Moises Caicedo. Moises Caicedo. Don't look any further. Just do it and thank me later. Liverpool boss Klopp says he wanted to sign Martin Odegaard for Borussia Dortmund, but the playmaker chose to join Real Madrid instead. That was when his, um, I think it was his father, was shopping him around all the big clubs. He had trials with about, or he, I don't know if there were trials, or if he just trained with about eight or nine different clubs around Europe. It was quite shameful, really. Uh, Arsenal thinking of offering Albert Sambi Laconga in a swap deal for Manuel Locatelli. I, I, I know Juventus have been badly run. I'm not sure they're that badly run. Leandro Trossard has refused to dismiss speculation, linking him with a move away from Brighton with Arsenal and Chelsea both keen on the Belgian winger. Everton planned to exercise an option to turn Conor Cody's loan into a permanent switch for a fee believed to be less than 10 million. Be very Everton of them. Uh, Graham Potter says his focus is on getting N'Golo Kante fit and that the contract situation of the 30-year-old 31-year-old, which whose deal runs out next summer, uh, is between him and the club. Interesting. Sevilla have agreed a deal with former manager Jorge Sampaoli to return to the club to replace Julian Lopetegui as boss. That is ESPN reporting it, so I don't know whether I would put a bunch of stock into it. Uh, Alex Kirkland... And Rodrigo Faiz. I've seen Alex Kirkland's work and he's fairly decent. Don't know Rodrigo. Uh, Sevilla have reached an agreement, sources have told ESPN. Yada, yada. Uh, We'll sign a two-year contract once Lopetegui has departed. Talks between the club and the manager move quickly. Uh, Lopetegui's sacking is expected to be made official on Wednesday night or Thursday morning. So, look, if he if he gets sacked and Sampoli comes in, well, then fair play. Um, I I think it could work for everybody. If they sack him and he goes to Wolves and they get Sampoli, I think it works for everybody. I think everybody's fairly happy from that. And I am happy to say that's all for me. Thank you very much, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.